Hey guys, we wanted to take a moment and thank you for tuning in to our church podcast. This week's sermon is from our series, The Core, where we are taking a look at the values of our church stands on. To learn more information about Sturkey Hills, you can find us at sturkey.church. Oh, and don't forget to hit subscribe to our podcast so that you can always stay up to date with our latest messages. We're so thankful for all that God has been doing in the life of our church and the part you play in it. Thank you for listening and have a blessed day. Well, thank you, worship team, for an encounter with Jesus. That's awesome. And, and that video kind of t- emphasizes why, why we value God's Word as our primary core value at the church at Sturkey Hills. And I want to explain, just this week, I was more aware of it than ever before because, in fact, just this morning, I want to tell you why we value God's Word. is because uh, this morning I got a text, and uh, we have a young lady, Alicia Hickam, uh, her and Tyler, they had their baby. Their baby is here this morning at 323, and so another one is here. Now, this is the beauty of it. This is why we value God's Word. It's because right here in our midst, we've got several babies that are here with us that you can't see just yet, okay? And then we've got some others who are here, uh, Lashley and Caroline. Uh, they're already here. And, and, and our don't drink the water if you don't want to be. Something's going on on this hill. And, and so God is sending us young families. And I had a conversation yesterday uh, with a couple of uh, older ladies, and, and they kind of are uh, like tradition. And I like tradition, and they like him and I like hymns and and so that we were talking about it and I told them straight up and I'm telling you church you know I'm about tradition too that's wonderful it's beautiful but let me tell you what I'm more about than tradition or hymns or anything else I am about reaching our generations below us who are lost and missing out on the truth of God's word in their heart and in their life. And they're having babies and they need to have a place, a safe haven for these young families to come and bring their babies and their children and their students to hear the truth of God's word in a world that is so muffled up and foggy and gray and goofy. They need to hear the direct truth of God's word because that is what will change lives, destinies, and eternities. So that's why we value God's Word. Now, the series is called The Core, and our number one core value is God's Word. And last week, we talked about the first three reasons or proofs or um, uh, pillars, that the reasons you can believe God's Word in its entirety. You can believe that it is accurate, that it is authenticated, the, the voice of God, the theonoustus, why you can build your everyday living and your eternal destiny on God's Word. And so those first three, and if you didn't get them last week, you were out, you can, you can listen to them on podcast. You can view it on our video archives at our website. And the first three were the messianic confirmation. Okay. We said last week, if we don't believe anybody else, we better believe Jesus. Amen. Jesus affirmed scripture. He affirmed all of the Old Testament. He said in Luke 24, beginning with Moses and all the prophets, Jesus explained to them what was said in the scriptures concerning himself. Jesus understood as John the gospel, the author of the gospel of John would say, in the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God. Then verse 11 and 14, he says, and the word became flesh and dwelt among us and we beheld the glory of the only begotten of the father. Jesus understands scripture was him on paper. 
And we can believe what Jesus said. He affirmed scripture. That's a real good reason to nail it down. Number two is scriptural affirmation. Scripture affirms scripture. So the, the, the authors of scripture, uh, although there are various, they always refer to other scriptures. The New Testament refers to the Old Testament. The re- Old Testament refers to each other. The New Testament refers to each other. So it affirms that it is the breath of God given to us for life. Number three is traditional acceptance. We talked about the canonization of scripture. We talked about how you can know when somebody says, well, uh, why don't you believe the Book of Mormon? Why don't you believe the Book of Jehovah's Witness? Why don't you believe in, uh, in, in these other books? They're great books. I said last week, you can, believe in the, you can re- study the Wizard of Oz, tap your red shoes together, hope to go to Kansas, but it ain't Scripture, okay? Scripture is Scripture because it is authenticated and it has been canonized. It means it has been given the title of authoritative rule from God to me and to you. And the early church, the, 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 the litmus, the, the, the a protocol that they used primarily to determine what was Scripture was one, the Holy Spirit impressed upon their hearts. And the physical, the tangible test they would run it through was number one, apostolicity. Did an apostle or someone very close to the apostle write it? Joseph Smith, who wrote the Book of Mormon, was not, is not an apostle. He didn't run around with the apostles. He wasn't even close to the apostles. His book failed that test. Number two was coherence. Does it align itself with all of the other scripture that is considered canonized. You read the Book of Mormon? Now, don't get me wrong. I know Mormons are great people, and some of their families act better than some of us. But I'm going to tell you that that book is not in alignment. It's not coherent with what is canonized as scripture. Number three was Catholicity. It means universal. That's what the word Catholic means. It means universal. The early church universally accepted the books that we now call the canonized scripture, the Holy Bible. They accepted it, okay? So if, it's, if, it, if it doesn't fit that test, then we don't view it as scripture. It is really that easy. So now we're going to look at the next three, and we'll be finished, and we'll move on to something else, all right? And I'll go ahead and tell you what we're moving on to. Next week, we're talking about leadership, and we're going to ordain our new deacons and we're going to introduce our staff and our deacons to you okay and then the following week because it's under leadership I'm going to tell you one we're going to talk about here's a good one for you you'll want to be here or maybe not alcohol we're going to talk because we're talking about leadership okay and why leaders here don't do that so here it, just come on and hear that hear what the pastor has to say you can throw stones at me or whatever you want it's good okay now here we go number four on your worship guide scientific integrity scientific integrity now the, the scientific community has for ages wanted to discredit at God's word, throw darts at it, and say that it has errors in it regarding science. Now listen to me, okay? You would not pick up God's word to learn how to build a rocket ship, okay, or a nuclear bomb. It's not that kind of science, but let me tell you something about God's word. It will never, ever, ever present to you wrong science. It will never give you wrong or faulty scientific information. Now, I'm going to share two areas where the scientific community wants to say that it gives false information, but it doesn't. And I want to take it a step further, and I want, you, I want to show you in God's Word how God's Word is authored by God, who created science and physics and all of the stuff that makes that real. And so, He has revealed the fact that He knew it before anybody else discovered it. Okay, so here's one of the areas of controversy. They say, well, the scripture is not accurate because it refers to, it uses this phrase more than one time, the sun rose or the sun set. And the scientific community would say, well, now, wait a minute. Now, we know better than this. The sun doesn't rise or set. 
the sun, the, the earth is orbiting the sun. And so because of the orbit of the earth, that's why it appears that it rises in the east and sets in the west. Now, the only problem I have with that is, first of all, let me just tell you, God's word speaks in common English, common language and phraseology. It speaks to the people that are going to be reading it. Okay, And it does say the sun sets and the sun rises. But listen to me. Most of us turn on the news every day and we watch TV. And the meteorologist will give us what? A time of sunrise and a time of sunset. Nobody in the scientific community fusses about that. Honestly, a meteorologist, the only guy I know, misses it 90% of the time and keeps his job. Okay, But nobody ever says a word about that. Why? Because the meteorologist is speaking in common phraseology and common expression. The second one in the Bible, which is a common one that people fuss about, is that it refers to the four corners of the earth. Ah, See, if there was this all-knowing God, he would know that there's not four corners. It's not a plane with four equal sides. It is a sphere. Right? Well, he's referring to the four directions of the earth north, east, south, and west. And we do the same thing today. So he's referring to common terminology used in the Bible. To, to embrace scripture, listen to me, church, to embrace scripture as the authentic Theonustos, the breath of God given to us to hold on to it, to stand up strong and have a spine and saying, you know, I believe it from index to maps. I live my life the best I can based on what scripture tells me. I don't move around with the winds of change of culture that comes every day. When there's a new philosophy in town, a new ideology in town, I don't jump on that ship and ride it until another new one comes along. I plant my feet on God's word and that is it. It. To do that doesn't mean you're an egghead or an idiot. You keep great company. I've already said messianic affirmation. You're keeping good company with Jesus. That ought to be good enough. All right? But if you want somebody here, there's all kinds of scientists and brilliant minds who have lived through the ages who embraced God's word as accurate and authentic. There was a famous mathematician and astronomer. His name is Johannes Kepler. Brilliant guy. Famous for all kinds of discoveries and inventions. This is what he said, and I like it. It says, science is simply thinking God's thoughts after him. You get that? God knew it because he ordained it, designed it, created it. He already knows it all. And for somebody to understand science, science is simply saying, huh, I'm already agreeing with what God has already said and what God already knows. And so, so you can hang on to God's word as truth. Now, it was never intended to be a science book, but it gives good science. Now, not once in 1,500 years in the writing of God's Word does it ever give bad information. In fact, for thousands of years, people believed that the earth was flat. You know that, right? For thousands of years, people thought the earth was flat. All right? They embraced it as truth. Well, Isaiah said 2,600 years ago, okay, in Isaiah 40, verse 22, Isaiah says, God is enthroned above the sphere of the earth. Isaiah had this inkling, this idea that this whole thing ain't flat after all, that it's a sphere. He knew it. Why? Because he was writing what the Holy Spirit breathed into his heart to write. Now, not only that, but 
For, oh, and regarding that, listen to this. I want to remind you what you have probably heard in school. The Hindus believed that the earth was suspended by a huge elephant. That's a good one. You smoking something to come up with that plan, okay? Yeah, you remember hearing that? And you couldn't help but say, what, what held up the elephant? Nobody knew. Hindus didn't even know. Okay, the Greeks believed that there was a Greek god named Atlas, and he held it up. The Egyptians believed that there were five columns that held up the earth. And the whole time, 2,600 years ago, Isaiah is saying God is enthroned above the sphere of the earth. The Bible, uh, Job chapter 26, verse 7, regarding the, the uh, north, east, south, and west and the suspension, he says, He spreads out the northern skies over empty space. Job said it, the first book written in the Bible. And he says, And he, God, suspends the earth on nothing. Isn't that cool? Isn't that cool? That when we discovered that we're in orbit hanging out in the middle of a huge uh, a, a galaxy called the Milky Way, a galaxy among billions of galaxies, and here's this little rock just spinning around rapidly, sustaining life, that Job wrote, God suspends this whole thing on nothing at all. That's good. So God does not give bad science. For thousands of years, people believed that the number of stars in the sky were finite, that you could count them. And if you read that, and we don't have time to go into it, it's funny the numbers of stars that they emphatically said, this is how many stars there are. And then a few years later, oh, we discovered some more. This is how many stars there are. Now we have a Hubble telescope and all that other technology, and we see just billions and billions and billions of stars and billions and billions and billions of galaxies. And all the while... Jeremiah chapter 33 verse 22 says, the number of stars cannot be counted. Hello. God, God knew something, you know. He's God. And He knows it all. And He tries to tell us. The Bible says He can't tell us everything He knows. He just tells us what we need to know. He says to, to, for Him to write all that Jesus did, there's not enough pen and paper. Why? Because Jesus is eternal. The Bible says all was created by Him, for Him, and through Him. He's been around forever and He'll be around forever. And so He tells us everything we know, but for crying out loud, we got to give God some credit and start believing Him at His Word. One of the greatest apologists of today is a guy named Ravi Zacharias. And this is what he says about how we discredit God when we think we discover or, or uncover some new idea. Robbie Zacharias says, I can give you a full scientific explanation of Microsoft Office Works. He pauses and says, well, I can't, but a computer expert could. And he could sit you down with the design instructions for Microsoft Office and give you a full scientific explanation of how it works. But that would not show that Bill Gates does not exist. It would not show that there is no who behind the how. To the contrary, it would show that Bill Gates is really smart. Now, isn't that funny? It's the truth. When we think we understand something at a deeper level, all of a sudden we discredit, discount, disown, and dethrone God. And the whole time, the fact that we uncover something ought to point to the fact, wow, God is an amazing God. When we learn new revelation, new information, new technology, new idea, when we discover, uncover anything, it should always move us to a deeper level of awe about our God. That is good. So when you learn something, when you hear something, when you think something and it's new to you, instantly you should move not away from God, but closer to God and say, God, if this is real, 
Man, it just paints a more amazing picture of who you are. We have to give God some credit. Adrian Rogers said this, when science disagrees with scripture, just give science time to catch up. Now, I like that. That's easy, all right? Now, what are some areas that the Bible talks about that science is afraid to know that the Bible talks about? One is paleontology. You know, we've got these dinosaur bones that we exhumed, and the Bible doesn't, it doesn't um, acknowledge dinosaurs. So what are you going to do with that? What are you going to do with Lucy? I'll tell you what I do with Lucy. Throw her out in the yard. She was fabricated from all kinds of animals. Listen, pay attention, pay attention. Be careful what you watch and what you read, what you listen to, and what you believe. So what about dinosaurs? God is not afraid of dinosaurs. He created them. The church should not be afraid, afraid and cower away from when they dig up or exhume this skeletal structure of an enormous animal called a T-Rex or whatever name you want to put on him. Job, remember the oldest book in the Bible, he referred to the dinosaurs. They, he saw the dinosaurs. Job said there's an animal called the Leviathan whose tail is so big it's like a cedar tree. He saw, he spoke of, listen, and they are extinct today. But it's not just the dinosaurs. There's all kinds of animals and insects that are, that are extinct today. It's just the nature of God's creation and it, the fact that it's fallen. You see, when, when man sinned, Man didn't just fall. All of creation fell. The whole animal kingdom, it all fell. The Bible says all of creation moans and travails for, for the return of Christ when he restores everything to its original condition. So not only paleontology, the Bible talks about astronomy. We were talked about the number of stars, the activity of the sun and moon, that's Jeremiah 31, the gravitational field, Job 26, the round earth, Isaiah 40, meteorology, the wind cycles, Ecclesiastes 1, 6, 6 fluid and air, Job 28, biology, the life of blood. This is interesting. In Leviticus 17, 11, uh, the, Moses says that there's life in the blood. He knew that the blood was significant. He knew that when you, when, when you touched a dead animal, man, you better wash up. He knew all of this stuff, but only later in 1616 would a guy named William Harvey determine that blood carries oxygen, okay? 1616. I mean, this was huge in 1616. He was the man with the plan because he figured out Job. Uh, he figured out what blood did, but you know what he was doing? He was only affirming what Moses said in Le uh, Leviticus 17, 3,000 years before. Now, that's pretty cool. See, you can hang on to God's Word, again, because of scientific integrity. Reproduction, chemical composition, the hydrological cycles, about the, how the water flows from, a, from the air, goes into a stream, goes into a river, goes into the ocean, picks up in a cloud, goes back up, starts all over again. All of that is in the Bible. And we, like, uh, like Johanna said, we discover, when we discover science is really when we just affirm what God already knows and what God has already Said. So look at your neighbor and say, you can believe the Bible because it's scientifically accurate. <laughs> Let me give you another reason why you can believe God's Word in its entirety. Prophetic accuracy. Now, i got to share a story that when, uh, when I traveled, I used to travel the southeast a lot. I would put, you know... 50, 75,000 miles a year on a car, and I'd drive all over. And, and Alabama had some of it. Florida had a little bit of it. But Georgia, man, Georgia was notorious for it. You couldn't hardly drive anywhere in Georgia that you didn't see a little single-wide trailer with a 40-foot billboard above it said, Palm Reader. 
Now, it always baffled me that if you know the future, why are you still in a single wide? <laughs> now, don't get me wrong. I don't have a problem with a single wide. Perfect place to live. But if you know the future, if you can read palms, you ought to live at least in a double wide. <laughs> I mean... You, you should be making money hand over fist if you know what the stock market's doing tomorrow. You know what I'm saying? And, and, and so, I, I want you to know God's Word is not a palm reader. And if you are, you're not. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's, that's right. If you are a palm reader, you're not a palm reader. Okay? Because there's nobody who reads a palm. Okay? God's Word is not a palm reader. I shared in the early service, I remember when I was a kid, we had this little black ball. You shake it up and say, you know, does Jenny like me? No. You know, how about Martha? Does she like me? No. You know, am I going to be single the rest of my life? Yes. You know, and we would bank on it. Anybody remember the little eight ball or whatever it's called? It was just me. It was me and three others. Okay, cool. All right, it's good enough. Well, I, I didn't think I dreamed it. All right. Well, this is not that. You, you know, it's like, does Jenny like me? You know, it's not that. Okay, it's not that. Let me tell you what it is. It is 100% accurate. We live in a world that wants to have prophets. People want to be prophets. They want to prophesy. Let me tell you something in God's Word. Nobody wanted that calling. Nobody wanted that job. Because if you prophesy something and it is inaccurate in the least little uh, area, they would stone you because you're not of God. So we live in a world that wants to prophesy all this stuff, okay? And God's Word is prophecy, okay? It is prophetically accurate. Now, I, I want to show you how accurate it is because it's beautiful. <laughs> Biblical prophecies have been fulfilled that were written 400 to 1,000 years before they ever happened. Now, this is not like Nostradamus, right? We've, we've heard of Nostradamus. You know, he wrote all these prophecies, and some of them appear to be right, Others entirely wrong, okay? It, it's kind of like going to the Asia Cafe, you know, and getting a fortune cookie. How many of y'all read that? You know what I do when I read it? I'll go down. Brother Mike likes eating there. I'll go to the, to the Asia Cafe. I'll open mine. If it's not a good one, I say, here, you got the wrong cookie, all right? And read that. Yeah, it's mine right here. You know, getting ready to run into some wealth right here, okay? And on the back, got my lottery tickets, so I go straight over to Waggles, give me some lottery tickets. No, I don't. Never bought a lottery ticket. Never in my life. Not going to start today, even with a fortune cookie, okay? Now, God's Word is not all that. It's extremely precise. In fact, listen to this. Over 300 very detailed prophecies pointing to the life of Jesus Christ already fulfilled. Do you understand that? Do you understand the, the magnitude of that kind of thing? To prophesy over 300 independent details about the life of Christ and for them to come to fruition with precision and not one of them has been missed. Where did it all begin? It began in, in Genesis. Do you remember when Adam and Eve sinned, they fell, and God came into the garden, and he spoke to Adam, and he spoke to Eve, and he spoke to the serpent, to Lucifer, and he said, he told Satan, he says, listen, there will be enmity between you and the seed of woman, and you will bruise his heel, and he's going to crush your head. I love that. That's, that's, that's in the inception of our sin, a sinful condition that God already had a plan of redemption. That is really good stuff. And he refers to it so weird. He says, the seed of woman, the seed is not in the woman. The seed is in the man. But you know what Moses knew, inspired by the Holy Spirit of God? That Jesus was going to come because the Holy Spirit made Mary pregnant with the Messiah. 
It's unbelievable. So I, I want you to, to help you wrap your mind around the beauty of this. Psalm 22 is a good example. I could give you 300. Psalm 22 talks about Jesus dying by crucifixion. Crucifixion didn't even exist as a form of capital punishment when Psalm 22 was written. I mean, it's on and on and on. And, and so let me read this. Unique among all books ever written, the Bible accurately foretells specific events in detail many years, sometimes centuries before they ever occur. Approximately 2,500 prophecies appear in the pages of the Bible. About 2,000 of them have already been fulfilled to the letter without error. The remaining 500 or so reach into the future and may be seen unfolding as the days go by, and we do. Since the probability for any of these prophecies having been fulfilled by chance averages less than 1 in 10, and since the prophecies are for the most part independent of one another, listen to this, the odds for all of the prophecies to have been fulfilled by chance without error is less than 1 times 10 to the 2,000th power. That's 10 with 2,000 zeros. By the way, I said last week there's not a number, and there was. Is there one for 2,000 zeros? Probably some egghead came up with that. All right? It's a bunch. You don't know how to wrangle and wrestle with a number that big. Okay? So how big is that number? What, 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 is the pro what does that probability even look like? Well, let's say you took out of all of those, and you took eight. All right? That means the chance of only eight of them coming to fruition and being fulfilled with precision. The chances of that is the same as covering the state of Florida in quarters, two feet deep. The state of Texas. Did I say the state of I said Florida. The state of Texas. Okay. Bigger state. Okay. You cover the whole state in 24 inches of quarters. And somewhere in all of those quarters, you got one quarter with a red X on it. Okay? And then you take a blind man, drop him out of a helicopter with a parachute somewhere in the state of Florida. And he bends over to pick up the quarter, and the one he picks up has a red X on it. That's the same probability of only eight. And there's 2,000 that are fulfilled to precision. So we can count on God's Word because of its scientific integrity and its prophetic accuracy. Not only that, it has an enduring nature. Now, God's Word has been around. I want you to understand something. God's Word has not just been around since they penned it. God's Word is eternal. In the beginning was the Word. The Word was with God. The Word was God. The Word became flesh, dwelt among us. Right? It's been around forever. Okay? Jesus was the culmination of His Word. Jesus was His Word with a body. Jesus was, uh, was all that the Scripture foretold of. All, of this, all that Scripture points to is found in the personhood of Jesus. It's, it's enduring. It's forever eternal, past and future. Now, now, how do we know that it's real? I mean, for a long time, they would question God's Word, the Old Testament. They would say, well, it's stories, it's fable, it's myth, it's not accurate. I, it's, nobody knows how old it is. And so it, it fell under a bunch of scrutiny. Well, then there were 20,000 ancient copies and fragments that have been found now, 20,000 New Testament fragments or passages that have been found. And none of them discredit what we already knew. It confirms and affirms it. 
There's variation from time to time in the way it's penned, the way it's written. Never does it change the meaning or the message or the doctrine. The Old Testament, they, man, they questioned everything that the liberals, the skeptics did, everything in the Old Testament until in Qumran they found the Dead Sea Scrolls in a cave. And Dead Sea Scrolls gave, confirmed everything that we believe about the Old Testament. The Reformers used to say this, and this is good to put to heart. Nothing judges Scripture, and Scripture judges everything. Ken Ham says, put on your biblical glasses before you look at anything in existence. C.S. Lewis said, we see it like we see the sun, and by the sun we see everything else. Listen, you have nothing to run from. You have nothing to cower down to. It's time that the church, that the Christian grew a spiritual spine. And when the winds of change come blowing and this new doctrine, this new idea, this new philosophy comes, comes out in a great, in a beautiful looking package. I mean, it is promoted and marketed well. But when we hear it, we simply say, huh, let me look at the word and see how that lines. Because if it lines up, okay, it might be true. I'll give you that. But if it negates or pushes back against anything in this book, you just mark it off and say, yeah, that'll change before long. Because that is a... That is a manology, a meology, and not a theology. Give God credit for being God. I remember several years ago, uh, our younger daughter Kelsey went to the University of the, C of the Cumberlands, and uh, she started dating a guy named Clark. I don't think they're in here, okay? But it's okay. I, t I talked in front of them in the early service. And we went up for a volleyball game. She played volleyball up there, and we went up there, and we met Clark, I think. And, you know, Kelsey was kind of thought he might be the guy. Kendra, my wife, not so much. Matter of fact, she said, Kelsey's been, she's done so good. I said, what's she doing with him? I told, I told Clark on you, too, early service. And I didn't totally disagree. But I remember she said, I just, you know, we, I've prayed. She, she did. She, I've prayed since they were little that God would give them a good godly man. I just don't think he is it. <laughs> and I remember telling Kendra, and she'll, she'll vouch this true. I said, listen, Kelsey's been doing pretty good in making decisions, right? I mean, she's, she's done good. She made good decisions. She wasn't perfect, but she did pretty good. Okay? Let's give her a little credit. Give her the benefit of a doubt. And let her decide, because she was living for Jesus. I mean, she was studying Scripture. She was in Bible study. She was going to church. She was, she was living for Jesus. She was going on mission trips. I said, you know, her heart is right. Let's give her a little credit, the benefit of a doubt. And so they kept dating, and they ultimately got married. I'm going to tell you, there is a God, because Clark is a thousand times better man today than he was five or ten years ago. And if you know Clark and you've known him for a long sake, that's true. I didn't make that up. They're going on a mission trip in January, he and Kelsey, for a year. He loves Jesus. Jesus just, is, just messed up his heart and his emotions. It's beautiful. Okay? And all the while, it's just, we had to just give her a little latitude, give her the benefit of a doubt. Now, listen, that's a small story. That's a small comparison. Listen to me. The God of the ages, the true and living Yahweh, the one who breathed everything in existence, including his word, is capable of giving us an accurate 
letter. If he can whisper, we saw two weeks ago, if he can whisper billions and billions and billions of galaxies with billions and billions of stars in each one, and the scripture says, and he calls them forth, and he numbers them, and he names them, and he takes inventory of them. If you believe it, and I do, I have a big view of God bigger than ever before. And if he's capable of doing that, don't you think he's capable of giving and preserving his word to you and to me? It lasts forever. Jesus said in Matthew 24, 35, heaven and earth shall pass away, but my words shall not pass away. Isaiah 40, verse 8 says, the grass withers and the flowers fade, but the word of God stands forever. 1 Peter 1, 25 says, but the word of God, the word of the Lord endures forever. And this is the word that was preached to you. I want you to know something about your church and about your pastor. In a world of change after change after change regarding doctrine, theology, life. We gotta hang on to God's word. And if I stop, if I stop preaching this word, somebody run me off. Correct me, come to me, and collectively fire me. Because this is the only thing we have. It is the truth of God on paper. That's corporately. Now listen to me, individuals. I'm calling you out and challenging you to get in this letter, that this love letter God has written to you. Get in this thing. Start reading and digesting it. Take it into your life, not just your gray matter. Plug it into your heart. Plug it into your feet. Live what this book says. Listen to me, and you will see powerful change in your personal life. You will see unbelievable change in your family life and relationship. You will see unbelievable change in the, your uh, acknowledgement of the greatness of who God is, and it will change the way you live every day because his truth lives forever, and it wants to live in you. I want you to bow your heads and close your eyes, and I want you to know God's word can be believed because Jesus gave it messianic confirmation. I want you to know that you can have a spine and stand strong on God's word because of scriptural affirmation, that it affirms itself. I want you to know that you can live every day of your life knowing it's true because tradition, tradition holds it true and accepted it. I want you to know that science cannot refute it. I want you to know that prophecy proves it's true. I want you to know that it has endured the ages and it will endure forever and so you can live by it you can live through it and you can live forever because of it and so today I'm making it my claim and I want you to consider this claim I will be a theist and not a meist from this day forward I will embrace a theology from scripture because it came from an outside source I will resist meology which came from me, and that's an inside source. I want to invite everybody today to lay your questions at the feet of the one who holds all the answers. I want to encourage you to simply trust the one who can be trusted. I want you to begin a new approach to Scripture. 
I want you to begin to find reasons to confirm your beliefs in the Word of God because they're plenty and they're good. I want you to give God the benefit of a doubt because he's been brought into question way too long. And so I wrote this little prayer for me, and as I read it, if this is the prayer of your heart, I would invite you to simply pray this prayer. God, I believe all that you have said about my origin. I believe all that you've said about how I got here. I believe all you have said about how I live my life. I believe all that you've said that because of that, I deserve to die. I believe all that you've said and more about how I am hopelessly lost without and apart from you. But God, I also believe all that you've said about your eternal origin. God, I believe all that you've said that you were before the beginning and after the end. God, I believe how you said you came here and how you said you lived perfectly and how you died on a cross just for my sin and how you rose again on the third day. God, in this moment, I simply believe you. God, in this moment, I simply believe you. With childlike faith, I simply believe you. God, as I move forward, I pray that when it is tough for me to believe, that you will help my unbelief. Strengthen me from this day forward. Let me be found more committed, more devoted, more madly in love with your word of truth than ever before. In Jesus' name, amen.